Hi, I'm Geeta Nandikotkur, Managing Editor, Asia and Middle East with Information Security Media Group. I have with me Dr. Zulfikar Ramzan, Chief Technology Officer, RSA, to discuss the cybersecurity trends as the industry continues to migrate from a focus on prevention to a focus on faster detection and more comprehensive response. As one of the key speakers at RSA conference in Singapore, Zulfikar emphasizes how to operationalize the three principles of advanced threat detection. Thanks for joining ISMG's discussion, Zulfikar. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. You have been urging the practitioners to lay emphasis on the three principles of an effective threat detection program and operationalize them to achieve success in a new changing security paradigm. So what are these three principles and how do they need to really address these? Sure. So the three principles are visibility together with analytics, identity, and then risk. And they're important for different reasons. So when you think about most organizations today, they're facing an increasingly advanced landscape of threats. And when I say advanced, I don't necessarily mean cutting edge. I really mean that the threats that used to be considered sophisticated five years ago are what we see every day mainstream today. And so as a result, organizations have to take a more proactive stance with regard to how to secure their information assets. They can't rely on traditional mechanisms like firewalls and antivirus as a panacea by any stretch of the imagination. And so organizations are really forced to consider what happens when the attacker makes their way through the front door and how do you respond effectively? How do you detect them quickly? How do you reduce their dwell time in your organization? How do you effectively address the key questions that come up in incident response detection scenarios, like when did the attack first get in, how bad was the compromise, what was taken, what's the root cause, etc. Now, as part of that, it's important to realize, and I think a lot of people have trouble with this one notion, that it's okay to capitulate that the attackers will get in the front door. People have historically spent all their money trying to prevent attackers up front, but that strategy we have seen has not worked well because attackers are too clever. But then again, the goal of the attacker is not to get in the front door. Just like if you were protecting a bank, the goal of a bank robber is not to walk in the front door of the bank. The goal of the bank robbers to get the money that's in the vault. Attackers have a similar perspective. Their goal is not to compromise your system for its own sake. Their goal is to compromise your system to create some financial value or incentive for them, like dealing information, getting intellectual property, disrupting your business, etc. And so from that perspective, visibility together with analytics becomes really important. So that's the first major pillar. Uh, analytics is really a critical part of visibility because visibility is about collecting data and having a comprehensive insight into your network and into your IT assets. Analytics is really about how do you glean insight and make meaningful decisions and take actions based on visibility. So that's the first area. The second area is identity. And what we're finding over and over again is that as the world gets more complex, as we start to see concepts like cloud and BYOD and IoT and so on and so forth become part of the everyday vernacular, the notion that there's an enterprise perimeter is completely nonsensical in that world, right? We've completely lost that notion. And so in that world, the only thing that we can hang on to from a security perspective that's tangible is identity. And to me, identity is at the foundation of security because security is fundamentally about ensuring that only the right people can access the right resources at the right times and do the right things with that access. And you can't achieve that without a robust notion and a comprehensive notion of identity. Now, as you get to that next step beyond that, as you look at CISOs and their roles today, we've seen a dramatic shift in the way that CISOs work they operate. Five years ago, your typical CISO had no idea who was on their board of directors. Today, they're probably meeting with their board every few weeks, maybe more frequently. And as a result, they've had to shift how they approach their job. Their job can't be about thinking only in terms of your technology concepts. They've got to think about how to translate those technology concepts and those technical details into a language that your CEO and your board can understand. And typically, that language is one of risk. Risk is very multifaceted. There's physical risk, there's financial risk, there's enterprise 
enterprise risk. Enterprise risk includes operational risk, which includes IT risk, which includes IT security risk. However, what we're noticing is that IT security risk in particular has become the most prominent and maybe the least understood element of enterprise risk. And so CISOs have to think about how to translate low-level technical details into the language risk. They can't go to their board and talk about buffer overflow vulnerabilities or cross-set scripting or SQL injection. That's the fastest way to end a board meeting. Instead, they have to say a DDoS attack is not a DDoS attack. It's an impact to business continuity. And there's a cost associated with that. You know, a buffer overflow vulnerability is not a buffer overflow vulnerability. It leads to somebody putting malware into a system that exfiltrates data. It's really an intellectual property violation. Similarly, we can make arguments around compliance, around brand reputation, things that boards can understand. And we believe there's an interesting gap there between what boards understand and what security practitioners understand. And we call that the gap of grief, if you will. So in other words, there's this interesting gap where all of a sudden, it's really hard for your typical CISO to make that translation without the right tools and technologies and capabilities in place. And by the way, these are all tied together. They're not just three disparate concepts. Risk, you can't think about risk without having a notion of what's happening in your environment, without being able to measure. For that, you need visibility. And when you think about visibility, the most important thing to have visibility into is identity. And so these three pieces, identity, visibility, and risk, become these three critical pillars for being able to effectively operationalize your security posture. RSA and also other analyst groups have been emphasizing these principles, trying to map your risk to your business continuity planning, but still practitioners not really getting up to that level. I mean, right. there have been a lot of uh, slackness mm-hmm. towards that. So what's what's bothering that? So I think what's keeping and challenging practitioners is typically that there's been a lack of componentry and tools for effectively translating and putting business context around threats. So really, what's risk? It's really understanding the impact of a particular threat. To understand the impact, you have to have business context around that threat. So for example, somebody compromises a server. How do you react? Well, the first question is, okay, what was on that server, right? That's the main question you have to ask. If the server was hosting the lunch menu for the cafeteria, maybe not so critical. If it's a production server or a server that's hosting customer data or a server that contains intellectual property, all of a sudden, that same threat is now elevated in the eyes of the analyst. Traditionally, analysts have looked at threats as if all threats are created equal. But in practice, when you put business context, it turns out that not every threat is created equal. Some have to be prioritized over others. And so that's really where, when we look at our technology suite and our capabilities, it's really about putting that business context in so that organizations can act intelligently and think about the actions they can take that will best mitigate the risks they're facing. I understand that majority of the organizations across Asia, they have become the victims of ransomware, advanced targeted attacks. So how are these attackers getting away with it? And where are the shortcomings? So I think the challenge that the defenders are seeing in general is that when they focus on trying to prevent every attack up front, it becomes really difficult to do because attackers are too clever. No attacker who really cares about trying to attack you is going to release a threat that's going to be caught on day zero. They already know what's in your environment. They've already tested their attack out against all the standard security tools tools. And so the first day they get in, they know they're going to get through that front door. So I think that's the first critical element. Uh, The second element is that once they do get in, the defender has to think about how to respond effectively, how to answer basic questions. So questions around how long the attacker has been there, what system first got compromised, how did the threat move through the environment, um, what was actually compromised during the attack. So in other words, it's got to be a step beyond looking at the individual threat and trying to understand the underlying attack and scoping that attack correctly. And if I had to put my finger on the single biggest mistake, I see security practitioners make over and over again. I would say that it's underscoping an incident and failing to clean that up properly. And as a result, they end up staying in a persistently compromised state. The key to being able to get past that is really understanding the underlying attack, being able to understand that, hey, this one threat artifact may be part of something broader, and having the tools and the visibility to being able to trace those pieces and really set up a pattern that explains the overall attack and then correcting that whole scale versus dealing with each individual threat piecemeal.
So coming back to your earlier response on the three pillars that you talked about, is there a pattern to focus on this? How do practitioners really go about take the right steps? So I think the, the first step is really understanding the nature of today's threat landscape and saying, okay, I've invested in certain tools over the last some number of years. And there's a tendency, I think it's human nature, that when you make a certain investment, you tend to get so focused on the investment you've made in the past that it blinds you for what the right decision is in the future. A perfect example is if you go to the buffet downstairs, you pay a fixed price for a buffet, and what ends up happening is you eat too much because you paid a certain amount for the buffet. When in reality, we should just eat the amount that makes us happy and then get up and not think about the fact that we spent money on the buffet. Security is in a similar boat. People have spent over the years, they've essentially been at the buffet table. They spent money on certain technologies and certain approaches, but they haven't asked themselves a question of, is that approach still working for me in light of the way the threat landscape is trending? And if it's not working for me, what changes do I need to make to be more effective? So when I look at technologies like firewalls, antivirus, even SIM, these technologies had a place in the environment several years ago, but their role has changed significantly since that time. And we can't rely on those same technologies to solve the problems that are being faced by organizations today and in the future. They have certain problems they solve, but it's not necessarily the, the right problem that customers have face and focus on. So having said that, the APAC industry practitioners that I speak on, the main challenge they have is, okay, we have everything, IPS, IPS mm-hmm. firewalls, everything. Beyond this, still the data gets compromised. Right. So what are the new technologies that they can fall back on? Maybe next 12 months down the line? Absolutely. So I, I think, um, for example, technologies that provide a sufficient level of security analytics, that provide full packet capture, that provide visibility across the entire organization, that enable effective detection and response. That's, to me, the, the critical investment area if they've only done the, the traditional things. Uh, technologies for being able to handle identities comprehensively, look not just at authentication and access, but looking at life cycle and governance of identities. And then finally, technologies for being able to look at risk holistically and tying low-level technical details into that language risk so that you can form a comprehensive security picture that enables you not just to worry about security at a practitioner level, but allows you to really talk about security at a business level and really focus on the business-driven aspects of security. And that, to me, is the winning combination because if you only focus on one slice of the puzzle, it's very difficult to operationalize any of this because ultimately, to operationalize, you need budget. To budget, you've got to talk to your boss and your boss may not speak the same language as you do. So if I went to, you know, and I, I tell security practitioners all the time, if you go to your CEO and say, I want to buy this tool because it's going to make my life easier. They're not going to give you the money. If you go to them and say, I want to buy this tool because last year we had this impact to our business continuity. It cost us $27 million to be down for three days. I want to get this tool that can reduce that time in half. Now there's a dollar amount. The CEO is thinking that's $13.5 million. This tool will cost me $200,000. It's a no-brainer. And so being able to articulate what you need in terms that your management can understand is the way to effectively do a better job in solving the security puzzle across the board for any industry. So, so figure what has changed from last year in terms of the shift in priorities and capabilities? So I think the biggest shift, and if you think about even the way the industry shifted, you know, five years ago, the focus used to be on prevention, antivirus, IPS. And as you noted, Gita, those technologies have not worked well for today's threats. They were good five or 10 years ago. They did a certain job, but they were not meant for the future. Now, if you look in the last couple of years, people have now talked about detection and response, visibility. Those are the big buzzwords, machine learning and AI. You'll probably see 37 companies saying they're doing that. Uh, To me, that's now a bit passe. Now the next element is the business element of security. And, you know, I was talking yesterday to a group of CISOs uh, across the board in APJ for different industries. And one thing they're struggling with is that a lot of them, for example, have their information security team as part of their IT team. So they report to the CIO of the organization. And but as that's a result, been the case all That's right. That's always been the changed. case. Yeah. And the challenge that they're seeing is when that happens, the senior management then thinks of security as an IT problem. But the reality is security is much more broad. It's, it's not just an IT problem. It's a combination of IT with risk with business. And when you look at security in that lens, it's 
it's a much different game in many ways. And we tell our customers that you have to think about how to gain the right influence. And maybe it's dotted line responsibilities or being able to talk dotted line to the chief risk officer or to the chief financial officer, but really being able to exert influence that cuts across different lines of business and cuts across different aspects of the business. But taking that business-driven view, in my mind, is where the industry has to evolve over the next 18 to 24 months to really deal with what we're seeing today. And that's why we've really been pushing that messaging in terms of our product lines, in terms of our capabilities. And we're going to be talking a lot about that at this conference in particular, because we feel that's the next critical wave of security as you get past the tools and technologies pieces. So what are the innovations happening in this domain since you are the CTO of RSA? So what are the innovations, mm-hmm. new models that are evolving? Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that we've been doing a lot of, and I don't want to say it's innovative because it's been around for a long time, although a lot of people still think it's innovative, but we're using a lot of machine learning and AI techniques in our products. But I want to say that to me, these are not panaceas by any stretch of the imagination. And by the way, they're not new. Now, RSA was using machine learning 10 plus years ago in the context of fraud, and we understand the space really well. Uh, a lot of startups are coming up and saying this is the greatest new thing since sliced bread, but the reality is it's not that new. It also doesn't move the needle as much as you would think. I think it helps you a little bit, right? It, it certainly improves your ability to detect threats to respond effectively. But to me, it's one capability. It's one feature among many in being able to do comprehensive security. We've been putting a lot more focus on things like insider threats and being able to detect those. We've been really focusing on areas like identity and tying the identity piece together from a security perspective. And identity, by the way, historically has not been part of the security conversation. Your typical identity buyer in most companies is not a security person. And that kind of makes sense conceptually, right? If you look at visibility and analytics, those tools are really about being able to keep the bad guys out. Identity has always been about letting the good guys in, right? So there are two sides of the same coin, but they're looked at completely differently in most organizations, but they go hand in hand. Uh, And part of that is because identity is really driven by convenience, by enabling users to access business applications that they need to further do what they their tasks to do on a day-to-day basis. So our focus on identity has been providing new capabilities that make it really easy for users, not just using secure ID tokens, but enabling things like the fingerprint sensor on your iPhone to work, being able to do things like image recognition and facial recognition technologies, biometrics, um, being able to use your phone as a second factor, being able to shake your phone at the right moment to authenticate yourself, enabling continuous access across both your on-premises and cloud applications. And then finally, providing continuous monitoring of that usage to really think about how identity should be examined moving forward. And this is an interesting case. You know, today I saw you in the in the media room and I didn't say, Gita, can you show me your ID? Can you give me your fingerprint? Is this really you? I remember seeing you last year. We we talked on LinkedIn. We sent some emails to each other. I knew you were going to be at the conference. So when I saw you in the media room, there was no need for a formal authentication protocol. And that's how we do things in real life. In real life, that's how we authenticate each other. Uh, so I call that concept identity assurance, right? It's that we look at a lot of small factors and our brains essentially combine these small factors to make a decision about whether or not we are talking to the right person. And it happens seamlessly. The same concept can be applied to authentication in general. And by the way, the banks have been doing this for decades. Uh, we know because we've helped the banks put these technologies in place. Today, your typical bank doesn't care about your password being correct. Why? Because they assume somebody already knows your password. They, in fact, they don't even they don't even look at it. I mean, they maybe conceptually look at it because they have to, but they look at everything else you do in the transaction. What time of day you logged in, what your physical location was approximately when you logged in, what you did when you first logged in. Did you go to your bill pay first? Did you look at your checking account balance? And it turns out if you look at all those different elements, they're most likely unique to you and to nobody else. And more importantly, you have no idea that you're even doing those things. People don't even think about it, but it's a unique, almost signature for them. And so banks have figured this out and they use that as the basis for how they do authentication and assurance. And as long as you're doing the right things, they have no problem. As soon as you do something a bit strange, they may ask you to answer a question or they may throw up an authentication screen. They may block a transaction. Uh, They may say, okay, well, you can do X, 
and Z, but as soon as you get to a transaction above a certain number of dollars, we're going to block that. That same principle can be applied more broadly to information security and to enterprise identity management. Thanks, Zulfikar. You have been listening to Zulfikar Ramzan, CTO of RSA on operationalizing threat detection methods. This is Geeta Nandikotkur from ISMG.